James chapter 4, looking at something we looked at last week. We're talking about the 10 imperatives. We'll finish it this week. Again, I, I kind of thought we'd finish it last week, but we kind of got into some of the details. And this is actually talking about people who are, again, he's talking to his readers in, say, 45 AD. But as I read this, I, I'm looking at myself. I think it is, it's a very, uh, obviously, it's the Word of God. It, it relates to us right now today, but especially in our culture, in our age, uh, and as you're growing in Christ, these are the things that can slow you down if you don't do this or respond to this. And the problem that they've got, the same thing we've got, is the world is living this way, and you fight fire with fire, so pretty soon you're doing the same thing the world's doing, you're just doing it in the name of Christ. You slap a cross on it and call it Christian, and you're doing the exact same thing. Uh, and sometimes it's a tough line. I mean, you've got to somehow communicate, you've got to somehow interact, but there's definitely a place where you, ha- you cannot act like the world. The world has answers to problems that are not our answers. They resolve conflict in a way that we don't resolve conflict. Number one is we have a hierarchy. We have got God that is over us, and he has now saved us, called us to be conformed into the image of his son. And so our job here, of course, we're still living in the world and we're going to have to get groceries where they get groceries. We're going to have to have a job like they've got a job. Or, you know, we all, I mean, we live here. We, we eat food. We have families. We have friends. But we're, need, we're, we're supposed to be becoming like Christ. So when we have a problem right here in our lives, in the world, we approach it from this direction, not this direction. And uh, they apparently have, as we do, and again, this is a hard, how do you, how do you know the difference? Um, and sometimes, you know, really, in, in the mystery of Christianity, you don't know. It's not, if, it, if it was just a straight black and white line, this is the bad side, this is the good side. But sometimes you even see, you know, you're, you're like Paul. It's like, you know, you, you say, well, don't be critical. Don't be judgmental. But then there's Paul being judgmental. You know, Jesus, don't be critical. Uh, don't judge one another. And then he judges the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the Herods, the disciples. I mean, Jesus just run around judging everybody. And then he says, be like me. It's like... And so it doesn't mean just don't be judgmental. It means you've got to be judgmental, but you've got to be judgmental or evaluative from this perspective instead of whatever this is. This is destructive. This is constructive. This is truth. This is delusion. I mean, it becomes, we can talk about that, but it just doesn't mean we just roll over and get walked on. These people have been engaging in the world with each other. I mean, they're talking about with each other, destroying each other within their congregation of believers because everybody is living the ways of the world. They're arguing, they're biting, talking about killing each other. Now, if that's just, like we said before, a metaphor, or if there's actually been killing, and this is, again, I don't want to, I am redundant, 45 A.D., so it's between 30 A.D., and 70 AD, and the Jewish wars break out in 66 AD. So they are right in the middle of a cultural overthrow that's going to be taking place, prophesied by Jesus. Now, when you find yourself over here in this world, or living in the world, which again, it, it happens often, it happens naturally. Uh, that's why First John, you know, confess your sins. They're called back to this direction over here. So uh, here's what he says in chapter 4. Uh, We're going to begin in uh, chapter 4, verse 4. He says to these people, which I'm reading this, he's saying this to me, or, you know, us. And you look at our culture, how many people really can even explain this, understand this, or they just, you know, go their daily life, get overwhelmed with the floods of life, and never stop and evaluate themselves. He says to them, and I'm reading it to myself, you adulterous people, again in the Greek, that's adulterous. I mean, it's, it's in the feminine, adulteresses. Uh, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Friendship with the world, if you're living down here, is hatred towards God. You can't be in the middle. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So if you're choosing to live over here, you are now opposed by God. God is now your enemy. His plan is actually working against you. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And we rest in that. We have comfort in that. But if you're here, it says all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. If you're loving the world, God is opposing you. If you're living here, Christian, not all things are working for the good because you're living here. Now again, in, positionally, you're in Christ. So in the long game, even when you sin, God is going to be able to turn that around and work it to your benefit. 
but again, how, how far are you going to push this? I can just keep on sinning and good abounds. Paul says, that it, people say that's what we're teaching, Paul says. That's not what we're teaching. Just keep sinning, it's all going to be fine. Because you could push that. If, if all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, and I'm living in the world, eventually it's going to catch up and God will make it work out good. It's like, that, that, you're misusing the formula. That's not the way the formula works. You're down here and you're living in the world. James says, very bluntly, you're living here, God is opposing you. So that verse, right, if you're living here, I'm going to put that on the shelf right here, a point of doctrine right here, at least to be considered. If you're living in the world and you're an enemy against God, that verse, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, is not applying to you. In fact, it may, depending on you know, the mysteries behind the scene, you may not even be in the plan of God. You may be on your way to destruction, eternal damnation, and just think you're a Christian, especially if you can convince yourself sinning is a good way to get advanced in God's plan. But anyway, I'm just reading James' words, combining with what Paul said. Uh, um, Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God, or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely, but He gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says... God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, we talked about this last week when he says, or do you think Scripture says without reason, and right there when he says Scripture says, you're expecting a quote from the Old Testament. Uh, And so then a lot of people, and I think the English Standard does it, I'm reading the NIV right now, puts the very next thing, says without reason, quote, that the Spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace. That, I think, is not because, it's, where, where's that verse at? You can find that principle, but there's not a verse. The verse comes next, out of Proverbs. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And now it creates two categories. The proud and the humble. And James is going to be working on this right here, this principle. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he explains that by, don't you know, Scripture says, the principle that his spirit envies intently, that if you're down here, his spirit is going to be working against you, but he wants you up here, but you're going to live down here. Human nature is to live down here. But to get out of here, this is where you live here. He's going to give you more grace to get you up here, but that's not automatic. You're going to have to appeal for that grace you're going to have to humble yourself so humble yourself and receive the grace to get out of here so we're all down here i mean it's basic salvation all are lost all have sinned you humble yourself and god gives you grace up here and now you are a friend of god this is where all things work together for the good of those who love the lord even though the world is trampling on you're up here the world is trampling on you relax that is the power of God. That's where Paul says, even when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's like, but I'm humbling myself under God. God is now giving me grace, but the world is trampling on me. I'm losing. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is going to make you strong. This is God. Now, if you're down here, proud, fighting the way the world is, you're going to get destroyed because guess what? Maybe the world's on your side. Maybe you're joining the cancel culture. You're part of the woke movement. Uh, You're flying your rainbow flag here in June. Uh, guess what? God opposes the proud. Proud month. Pride month. <laughs> oh! <laughs> what a great message. This is very timely. It's like that's why I chose June to preach the pride month method message. God opposes the proud. So I can say, I can say confidently with my understanding of Scripture that this whole pride flag waving thing, God is against it. Now, it's not my place to flaunt that and go out and burn down the rainbow flags. or you know, it, It's like, my, my job is to say, whoa, take warning. They're arrogant, they're proud, they're mocking God. God is against them. I don't want to be your friend. I'm just going to go up here and hide. Now, again, there's a place where, again, you're going to have to, you know, when it comes time for you to wave the proud flag, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And now you're going to get some persecution. Now you're going to get canceled. It's like, if you want to do that, I can say it's wrong. I can say you've got a twisted perspective of reality. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to judge you and bring wrath upon you. 
but I'm certainly not going to support you and hide in that deception, which means this is going to bring some kind of retribution. But relax. God gives you grace. You're humbled yourself under God's mighty hand. He will lift you up in due time. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, so I'm going to be here. But beware. Uh, it's just interesting. Okay. And I did not mean to go down the Pride Month flag, but it was just hanging right there in June. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely, right here, He envies against this, but He gives you more grace so you can come up here. So in this case, He'll give you grace. And now, what Scripture is that? It's Proverbs uh, uh, right here. Uh, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So to get grace and get out of this, you're going to have to humble yourself. And now comes the ten imperative. How do you do that? Well, I mean, simply you just say, I, I humble myself. I'm sorry, God. I'm on your side. I reject the world. Uh, I mean, that's the concept. But James is now going to give us ten steps in six categories on how to do this. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six categories of this process. And those are listed on page one. The last one being humility. How do you get to the place that you are humble or humbled yourself under God? Is Number one is submission. You're going to submit to God, meaning you've got the ways of the world, whatever you want to consider those. And you've got God. You're going to say, I submit to God, which leads you to this next one is going to be resist. If you're going to submit to God, and this is, this is the right away, right away, this comes down to, oh, okay, I, I've submitted to God. But I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to submit to God. My heart is submitted to God. My heart belongs to you, O oh Lord. And now here's the world. Hey, here's your, here's your rainbow flag. Uh, I don't want to be controversial. Wait, 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 wait. If you're submitting to God, that would mean you're going to have to be resisting everything else. And in, in context, that is going to say resist the devil. If you're going to submit to God, there's got to be... We're talking opposites. We're talking if you love the world, God opposes you. You cannot love the world and love God. If you love God, you're an enemy of the world. Well, I just, I kind of want, I, don't, I just want to be a good Christian. I just want to walk that middle ground, please God, please the world, and just leave me alone, and I, I, I don't want, I, I'm not against anybody, I'm a Christian. Okay, let's, how's that, that Princess Bride movie, is that what it is? I don't think that word means what you think it means. Submit to God doesn't mean I'll submit to God and just live a life in peace. Submitting to God means you've just joined rebellion towards the world. Well, Christians aren't rebellious. The whole concept of the kingdom of God is the overthrow of the way of the world. It's like, well, that's, we don't want to be violent. You don't have to burn down buildings, but you are going to have to submit to God, which means you're going to resist the devil. Okay, well, I can resist the devil. Okay, let's make a list. Okay, Satan himself. Okay, if Satan shows up, definitely not going to follow him. Okay, but we're going to bring in a little demon. Okay, a little demon, like, I mean, is it like a spooky demon, or is it just like a person that's a little off-center? Because if it's like a spirit, I'm kidding, okay. But if it's just a person with a little bit of evil in them, it's like, well, okay, a little evil. If it's evil, a little evil in a person, they want to do something evil. Like, like what? Well, if they want to murder, kill, or steal, definitely not get in the car with them. But... Okay, but they just want human rights. Yeah, okay, human rights, evil. We want everyone to be equal. Okay, uh, we want everyone to, you know, fulfill their dreams. Yeah, okay, God's all about reaching the highest point. And so we're going to have to have some, some rights, some human rights. Uh, for example, uh, everyone's equal. Sure, yeah, right, everyone's equal. Uh, well, how, but you see, like in a family, you know, the father, the mother, the ch children, they're all equal. Well, well, not, well, yeah, they're all people, but there is a hierarchy. Well, 
What about children's rights? Well, yeah, what about women's rights? Right, but and you know where we're going. It's like, now what happens if the mother gets pregnant and she says, I don't want another baby? It's like, well, we got to fight for women's rights. Well, what about children's rights? Well, we're going to have to have abortion. Oh, uh, well, okay. I mean, like, this is, this is something we really didn't want. It's like, unpl- yeah. Uh, okay, okay. I can, I, 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 at what point are you going to start? And it's like, at, once you enter into this, all the way down, everyone's equal. We're going to open up the borders. And now your c- culture's in chaos. Everyone belongs to our nation. So nation doesn't really mean nation. And border doesn't really mean border. Laws, lawlessness is one of the signs, the man of lawlessness. We don't want laws infringing on people's rights. Right, so no laws, no police, no order, no structure, no hierarchy. We're down here, we'll just have chaos. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's Satan. I mean, how far down the list do you want to go before you're going to have to resist Satan, the little demon, Evil, which sometimes sounds good. That's the difference between sin and evil. Sin is a violation against God. It's a violation against the code. Evil is sometimes what we would say a virtue, a good. It's like this is, for example, Satan quoted Scripture to Jesus. Well, that's good. Well, the Scripture's good, but he was using it for evil he was twisting it and then human rights it's like okay define human rights rights are established by god submit to god he'll tell you what the rights are you have a right to these things and for example how much submission does god demand some of these submission that god requires you can't escape like for example where you live in time i mean i was born in 1960 it would have been better to be born maybe earlier in the 50s. You know? It's like, okay, well, let's make that change. So I got my, I got my license changed. I was born in 1952. It's like, what? You're, you're stuck in time. You, you can't even violate time. And I was born in a particular country, a particular race with genetics. Ah, I kind of wanted to jump higher and run faster. And I couldn't. Now I just was smarter and was better at language, especially I'm up here trying to scribble words and talk at the same time. I would like to like kind of go and get kind of boost my genetics and DNA as far as have a better vocabulary. Mm, sorry, you're stuck where you're at. You can have God's grace. God can help you. God can use your gift. But you're stuck as a 63-year-old white male. But male? it's like yeah it's like now you've got people that are rebelling against that rebelling against time is ridiculous rebelling against your race is ridiculous but you can change your gender it's like no you i mean so these are all things that you haven't even had, you haven't even made a choice yet and you're submitting to god except you can see how people are starting to chip away and and rebel against god well anyway all this submission to god you're stuck in time and you're going to submit to God, and you're going to be judged. Your life will be the, I don't even believe in God. I don't even think there's a God. We're gonna, we're, it's a material world. I'm a secular humanist. We live, we die, we cease to exist. It's not that hard. And while we're here, we just do the best we can. We do good, human rights, uh, and that right there, doing good without God, is the definition of evil. Remember John Lennon's song. Imagine there's no heaven, no hell below us. We all are just living in peace. That it sound, People play that. They'll play that at a funeral. They'll play that at some kind of a rally. There's probably churches singing it today somehow, singing John Lennon and Yoko's Imagine. What a perfect world. It's like it's a world without God, completely driven by human desires and human direction, living at peace in total rebellion against God. That is Satan's goal. Satan's goal is not to burn down the earth. Satan's goal is not to burn the earth. Who burns the earth in your Bible? The wrath of God, the the, the seals and the bowls, or the trumpets and the bowls, when the bowls hit, it's not Satan and the Antichrist burning the earth. It's God torching the earth with meteors and sun scorching and plagues. I mean, it's God is wrecking havoc. Satan's in charge of what? Global warming. 
He's in charge. We've got to save the planet. Don't destroy the Bastille. I don't think I can make one myself. And God is going to come back and say, nice try. Now watch this. Boosh, 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 boosh. And it says it's going to be, oh, would God, that's, that's ridiculous. God would never do that. You mean like flood the earth. It's like he's already done it once. And the prophet says, men will reject that. They'll say they'll forget that he wants flood of the earth because he's going to burn the earth in the future so sure john lennon and yoko playing for satan are going to write a song about evil let's all just live in peace with one another that it sounds good it's evil but nonetheless submission to god is going to cause you to have to resist and you're going to have to be discerning because resist it's easy to say if satan shows up and says i want you to eat human flesh be like uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to God. Okay, I want you to fight for human rights, which includes the right to be transgender and women to kill their babies. Well, I, I don't want to be a bad person. Sure, we'll do that. It's like, okay, well, wherever you want to enter into this list, you enter in. It's like an elevator. You're going to the top. You're going to be right in here standing with Satan. And it may take a Bible class for you to realize it, but that's where you're going to be. All right. Oh, shoo, we're not much further than we were last week. Resist. So if you're going to submit, you're going to have to resist. The next one is right here. Oh, my gosh, where's my eraser? You're going to have to, after submitting to God, resisting, you're going to have to draw near to God. And that's the promise and he'll draw near here's the problem when we get to this resist resist satan and it says he will flee from you there's a problem you resist you submit to god and resist satan it's almost as in a sense that he's weak i don't want to abuse that word or misapply that word but submission to god and resistance to satan he can't stand against this and anytime you see that taking place in the bible you may see satan approaching but he always leaves in Jesus' case, he had three times, and then he left him for a season. He, you resist, and he flees. I draw near to God. Here's one of the promises. God will draw near to you, which is different than submission. So right here, submission and drawing near to God, they're in a sequence, but they're different. You're submitting, and now you're drawing near. I would say this is you recognizing that God is the authority. This is drawing near is you pursuing what he thinks. I would say draw near to God. You can say it's prayer. It's fellowship, it's worship. But at the top of that, or the foundation of that, I would say Bible study. Now, when I say Bible study, uh, what I'm talking about is not a religious group, but exegetical understanding of what the text of Scripture says that God has had written down from the days of Moses and possibly before, all the way through the prophets, David, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Gospels recording the historical events of Jesus and his message, and then the explanation of all that taking place and the prophecies about the future. That is the Bible. Draw near to God. If you're going to try to understand who you've submitted to, you better start some Bible study. Ah, that will result in prayer. That will result in worship. But uh, if, you're just, if you're coming out of evil, if you're... <laughs> If you're still confused about imagine, John and Yoko's imagine, and you're going to be worshiping God with song and prayer, and you don't see any problem with the song imagine, I would suggest stop praying, stop worshiping, and draw near to God before you keep worshiping Satan. Because you're singing imagine all the people living as one. It's like, you're singing for the Antichrist to come. It's like, this is not, this is not, it's like, yeah, but we're worshiping God. No, you're worshiping, and you're praying, and you're entering in, but you're becoming spiritual on the dark side. Not with John Lennon's song. Yeah, definitely with John Lennon's song. That's kind of bold. It's not even hard. That's not even rocket science. It's like, that's a pretty strong opinion. <clears throat> Yeah, that's a pretty an anemic insight if you think that's rocket science. That's basic. Okay. Draw near to God, and then you're going to have the cleansing. This is going to be the uh, uh, cleaning up of recognizing your sin, and then repentance. And then, at that point, now you're humble. 
So it's the way James, if you want to do this, again, be careful, don't let me override this, but James is going to talk about submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse yourself, your mind, and your actions. I mean, these are going to be things you're going to have to identify sin. Internal, external, identify them, name them, and then when you realize what you've been doing, that you've been singing John Lennon and Yoko's song as a praise and worship song, and all the activities that inside and outside come, you're going to start repenting, which is mourning, wailing, weeping. It's like you're having such joyful worship services, you're going to turn those services into weeping because, oh my gosh, I've been so far off track. I was wrong. You're repenting. Now you humble yourself, and now you're ready to receive God's grace, and now God will start working in your life. And the spirit that's been opposing you all the way through is now helping you. This is, this is radical because most Christians simply, you accept Christ, join a church, sing some songs, show up every week, and I'm a Christian. And you have Christian values like, hey, don't be judgmental, tolerance, everybody's equal, and if we imagine... There's no heaven, and we live in peace. It's like, there we go. Okay, with that being said, we now have the actual scriptures on the second page. Uh, chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's number one. And I've got these ten. These are the six categories, submission, resist, draw near, cleanse, repentance, and humility. They can be broken down into the ten imperatives that are listed right here. And the first one is submit. It's pretty simple. Submit, therefore, to God. And that is you're going to now recognize God and submit to Him and recognize you're not submitting to the world, which then means, chapter 4, verse 7, you're going to have to resist the devil, which is the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil, those are your areas of resistance. The world, where you live, your, your flesh, your sin nature that is within you, and then the devil, the God of this age. So there's no escaping this. The, escape, the, the humbling part, the sobering part about this, it's just not a matter of resist Satan. And I'm just going to stay right here in my own thoughts. Well, your own thoughts, you have a sin nature. You're comp- you're, you have a sin nature within you. So if you could separate yourself from the world and from Satan, you still have to deal with what's inside of you. So you're, you're living in a world, an atmosphere of sin. You're living in a being spirit soul and body your emotions your intellect your your whole nature is in rebellion towards god that's biblical teaching and then you've got the master the map puppet master uh over the world and your own sin nature and you're in trouble thus the need for jesus uh we got some great verses there we look at those about resist saint uh, satan that's page three Chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And again, how do you draw near to God? I've got written down here point three. I think that replies to going to his word. And I mean, that's the the straightest, most accurate, simple way of getting it done. Instead of trying to hear God's voice in your heart, hear God's voice in your head, or try and think and find peace with what God wants you to do. It's like, do you understand? You're, you're, You're coming out of the world. You just got done singing imagine with john lennon and now you're going to try to feel what's right well you just got done saying john lennon's song imagine felt right well let's stop feeling what's right and let's go to the text and read what's right yeah but that's hard to understand i don't really even understand or even agree with all this exactly come over here and submit to this did you say you wanted to believe in god and follow yes i do well then read the text. i just want to stay over here and sing and just pray to the spiritual it's like you're deceived your, your heart has been deceived. Come to the text and renew your mind, or in this case right here, draw near to God, and now he will draw near to you. Now all of a sudden, God is coming along, and now with his spirit, he's helping you understand his revelation. He's helping you understand. He's empowering you. He will draw near to you. And when that starts happening, you start clicking off. You start reading the text, and I know this, but it happens to me. It happened to me in the past. It happens to me in the present. You start reading the text of Scripture, you start realizing, "Uh uh-oh, what I felt, what I thought, what I imagined was right, right here. I'm, well, just just reading this book. It's like, okay, I have some improvement. Well, and that's where it says right here, chapter 4, verse 8, 
This is the, uh, the, the cleansing. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify you hearts, you double-minded. This is not a verse that we can stand inside the church and point outside, you sinners out there, you double-minded out there, because James is writing to those that are in the church, that are believers. This is him writing to the people, reading his letter. This is me being spoken to by James. Cleanse your hands, you sinner. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a Christian. I'm not a sinner. It's like anything that you don't agree with in the text of Scripture, or as you're reading the text of Scripture, you realize, oh, I'm not doing that. That means what? I am a sinner, and I need to cleanse your hands. That would be cleanse your hands, what you're doing, if you want to make an application, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Well, who's the double-minded? The double-minded are those that say, I love God, I'm a Christian, I'm following God's ways, but let's sing, imagine. I know it's getting redundant, but I'm trying to think of another example. I'm going to live this way. These are my values. You want to be tolerant. I'm waving the rainbow flag, but I love God. It's like, stop, you double-minded. You can't love God and wave a rainbow flag because the rainbow flag represents everything, not everything, but everything the rainbow flag represents is against God's established authority. It's pride. It's rebellion towards God's reality. And so, well, yeah, but I just want to love people. Okay, no, you love God, you love His ways, and you build His character. From there you have the love of God, and the love of God is going to look at people that are on the way to destruction, that are worshiping saints, that are living in a non-real world, and say, stop! I love you, you're going to destroy yourself, your eternity, your culture, your family. You're destroying everything. Come over here. Well, that's judgmental. Okay, now let's review that word. That's not judgmental. That's evaluative. It's like, you're going the wrong way. You're, you're being, yes, because this is the truth. Now, it's not like, well, that's your truth. You have submitted to the truth. You used to be wherever in this flux. You're here, and you're calling out for help. You know, you'd make a thousand illustrations. Someone's driving their car the wrong way into a storm. You say, well, they all have their... It's like, I've just got from the storm. You need to go back this way. Don't go that way. Oh, stop being judgmental. We all can drive our own way. You certainly can drive your own way. You are certainly a free individual, but you're heading into a storm that we just escaped from. When we say we just escaped from, you could go... We're not talking like just today... We're talking human history. You can go through different cultures that have gone into that storm and never came back. It's not like Romans chapter 1 talks about that. It's not like they think they're progressive. We've got some new ideas. Babylonian Bee just came out with an article that they're, oh, they're excavating Sodom and Gomorrah. They finally uh, uncovered the uh, mosaic rainbow flag in Sodom. Now, it's a joke. They didn't really. But it's like, oh, look what we discovered. It's like uh, they did that in 2000 B.C. (laughs) They they did that in Greece. They did that all the way. Where are these cultures? (laughs) Gone. They drove into the storm. So to stand here and say, people have already come out of that storm. Come back this way. It's like you're hateful. You're judgmental. Well, if you've come to God and you love God, you've renewed your mind, telling other people about the truth, is love they're going to hear it as judge what you think you're better no 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 i just found the truth now they're going to do the same thing they're going to think ah they found the truth and then you're going to have to make your choice and now when i'm done i'm made my choice i'm going this way so well you know they've actually found the truth they found the meaning of peace and living together in harmony okay okay i am not going to follow now and they're going to say well i'm going to say yeah, I, I don't want the rainbow flag. You, you, take, I, you go your way, I'll go my way. Let's just, let's just call a truce. We each do our own thing. I'm going to pursue God and his truth, and you're going to pursue what you think is God and his truth. It's like, and they will say, of course, very maturely, I agree. Good luck following God, and we'll be over here. Maybe we get coffee sometime. No, they're going to call me hateful a bigot, and whatever name they can come up with, they're going to start physically attacking me. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened when Lot and the, and the, and the homosexuals in, in Sodom and Gomorrah interacted? They became violent, so violent. I mean, we could read the story. 
it's a twisted, twisted story. But they were attacking Lot because he says, you came as a foreigner here and now you're playing the judge to us because he wasn't participating with them. And they were judging him and they were attacking his house and the angels had to go outside and blind them and say, listen, we have to get you. The only reason we're here is Abraham prayed for you. Otherwise, as far as me and Fred, the other angel here, concerned, it's like we're, we could care less. We're just here because God says Abraham prayed and he wants you out of here. He said, well, and he's stalling. And, and finally, they, dra- they took him and drug him out of the city because we're going to destroy this place tonight. So, I mean, Lot was delivered. People want to compare it to the rapture and things like that, which is kind of cute. Um, <laughs> and it is. I mean, before God's wrath came, they were delivered. But they weren't, like, seeking God. and They're, like, trying to figure out how they could stay. In fact, during the so-called rapture out of uh, Sodom, a, uh, Lot's wife looks back. And she's like being, if you want to rapture, you're like going up. She's like trying to swim back down to the earth, if that's the scenario. And uh, and turns into a pillar of salt. And okay. Anyway, cleanse your hands, you sinners. They're being called sinners and double-minded because they're doing things that are against God physically. And their hearts are double-minded. They're purified. So recognize this is wrong and this is right. So when someone asks you a question... This is the way I'm going. So that would be, and this is right here, uh, point four. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. This is the cleansing of a person's conduct, actions, behaviors, methods. This is similar to the commands of the Old Testament priesthood. Again, this is not necessarily uh, with exactly, this is implicit in the text. Uh, Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. This would be the message of the priest. They were the priesthood, if, you're going to, if you wanted to do this, and a lot of commentators mention this. The priests were all about cleansing the outer actions. You don't eat this, you wash your hands here, you bring this sacrifice, use this kind of a bowl. All this cleansing. Cleansing sounds like a priestly term. The prophets came, and they're kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. We need you to think right. We need you to purify heart. Don't just give me the actions change your heart purify your hearts so this is the priestly command do what is right the prophets okay okay you're all doing what's right you're all doing your bible study you're all going to church you're all doing all it's like okay enough going to church enough having your little bible studies start purifying your hearts let's see something on the inside this is not this is just action this is your hypocrite over here this is the person so james is kind of picking up on that and those are two other imperatives in the list of 10 is cleanse your cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double-minded even there your hands are sinning your hearts are double-minded you've got two opinions within your hearts and that is those two Uh, i'm going to read i wrote these down i'm going to proverbs excuse me i'm going to psalms 24 verse 3 and 4 and and again James is not quoting Paul in any of this. He hasn't probably never read any of Paul's letters because Paul is still in the beginning of writing his first letter. I would think that Paul and James have met. Obviously, they've met in the, in the persecution phase. Uh, it may have been that Paul has already visited Jerusalem and has gone into his ministry back up north. Uh, so his source, of course, is all Old Testament I'm in chapter Psalm 24, and I'll read a few verses here. I'll read like up through verse 6 or so. Uh, David wrote this, uh, so around 1000 B.C., Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. I mean, right there is your foundation of reality. The Lord established your reality, your physical reality reality was established by god so because he has established it verse three who may ascend the hill of the lord who may stand in his holy place so if he's established this reality the foundations of the earth history has been established by god who may actually ascend up to meet with god who can actually see god verse four he who has clean hands and a pure heart there's right there Clean hands and a pure heart. You're doing the right things and your heart is in tune or pure with him. And again, pure, be careful with the word pure 
we think of like uh, some kind of a, a pure substance, maybe like uh, pure oil or, or something that's got no, no impurities in it. It's like, it's, it's crystal clear. And so your soul's like crystal clear. Uh, the pure here, the, the pure heart would mean more, again, it, that's, not a bad, that's not bad, but pure, the opposite would be double-minded. Pure would be, you could say this way, uh, cleanse your, he who has clean hands and a single heart. I'm going, okay, Lot's wife would be double-minded. Lot's wife was going, but looking back. This would be, you're going to go up the hill of the Lord. Who can go? Your clean hands, and you're looking this way. You're not going up the hill going, what's going on down there? Am I missing something down here? It's like, you're saying, I've given up on this. I want to see the Lord. And so instead of, again, not that it's wrong, pure doesn't mean like crystal clear no impurities they have a pure soul if that's the case what does that pure soul look like not like clear i can see through it but pure as in it's got one direction it's going up the hill so that's that's david he who has a clean heart and a a clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol of course we don't do that but yet everything going on in our culture would be an example of an idol something that replaces god if you don't understand god's plan for nations and you've got your own definition of nations even the concept of a one world government where all the nations just morph together that's an idol that's an idea coming from an idol which we find out in the new testament those ideas are the teachings and doctrines of demons if you think that uh a man and a woman are the same now they can have equal rights under the constitution but they're created differently they have different builds they have different purposes they have different roles especially within a family you say i don't i don't i don't i don't believe that well that's an idol that's a false concept god established not just the waters and the universe he established sexuality he established men and women and he made them different there's a plan for both of them and to say ah there's not okay that's idolatry you're going into a false philosophy now again under the constitution men and women have equal rights you know that's that we're talking about two different things here if that makes sense and again here we go he does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false swearing by what is false would be lying or swearing allegiance to something uh, woke culture you don't swear by something false i swear i support the woke culture okay you're supporting a false ideology you're supporting idolatry which in the new testament is satanic it's demonic it's a demonic teaching so if you're going to ascend in the hill of the lord he who has a clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false he will receive blessing from the lord and vindication from god his savior why does he need vindication because the whole time going up the hill, people are taking shots at him. Anytime you're pursuing God, who, there's people saying, you're wrong, and they're canceling him. You will be vindicated. You don't have to vindicate yourself. God will vindicate. You commit to God, you're a pure heart, you're single mind, you're going up this way. God, just keep looking at God. What about these people shooting arrows at me? Because you'll be vindicated. Just keep doing what you're called to do. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Psalm 73, another verse. Psalm 73, verse 13. See, messages like this, I, I wonder if that's why I'm having such a hard time with my internet and how it's like, yeah, I'm talking to tech, technicians. All, I, last two weeks, I've been talking to techs. All like, I need help. It's like, okay, let me put you on. It's like, they send me all around. It's like, okay, I think we've resolved the problem. It's like, my whole website's gone now. It's like, okay. That's why I wait, call another woke culture, you know, woke tech guy. Hey, uh, it's like, and, and I don't know. I, they haven't said anything. They're trying to help me, but they haven't. <laughs> and again, that, that's, that's unfair, but it is something that crosses my mind because it's like, because if, if I was hosting a website, now watch it, if I'm hosting a, a website or a, a hosting websites and a Satanist comes on and says, I've got this great website on Satan. I don't tell them what my website's about. And I look at it, it's like, oh, it's got a Satanic stuff. It's like, yeah, we're really having trouble getting this one online. You know, just keep sending us your money, but we'll be working with this. You know, can I send you to the, up to the line to the next tech guy? Yeah, and they keep wanting to send me to, uh, uh, what is it, some uh, 
yeah, yeah, engineer, but there's a service. Oh, I think it's called the service team. <laughs> I tell you, I gotta be, I'll see something funny. Here's, here's intermission. <laughs> so I'm talking to these two guys yesterday, uh, John E. and Corey B. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to be nice to them, and I'm, you know, they're trying to help me. And uh, one guy says, uh, I said, I said, I says, how long are you here today? Because I says, it, this has been going on for four days. You know, I get off at six. Saturday night. Now, the phone lines aren't open because it's the weekend. So you're talking to a tech guy that's working on Saturday. He gets off at six. Okay, at one point, I, and I've talked to him all afternoon on um, these chats. He, at one point, he goes, yeah, he says, he says, it should be ready in the next 30 or 45 minutes. I go, John E., you get off in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> I says, are you being truthful with me? He goes, well, really, there's no way of telling how long it's going to take. <laughs> but he's off in 30 minutes. And then Corey B. says, hey, he says, uh, I'm going to send you to the service team. Oh, I'm going to go behind the curtain and talk to the, real, the guys that really are running, the guys that run the Internet. Okay. The phone lines are shut down because they're not taking phone calls because it's the weekend. You're talking to John, John E. and Corey B., who get off at 6 for Saturday night. And, uh, yeah, you're, I mean, you got to be thinking part-time help here or whatever, weekend college. I don't know. You know, I'm just like, you're working Saturday afternoon. I'm trying to get my yard mode. I'm talking to you guys who are at work. And you get off at 6, and you've already admitted it. But now, right before 6, we're going to send you to the service team. Okay, the phones aren't open. No one's working today. The building's lights are off, except you guys sitting at your computer taking these phone calls. Who's calling you on a Saturday afternoon on their website? Well, I am. And they got these guys taking care of it. They get off at 6. Now it's Saturday night. We're going to go ahead and send you to the service team. Oh, I bet these guys, are, these guys are the top of the crop right here. These guys are the guys that know what's going on. It's like they're working the light night shift on the weekend uh, after the tech help has gone home who's temporary. It's like, what, I just like this guy also takes out the trash. I mean, he takes out the trash and he you know, washes the windows. And also, yeah, yeah, this is the weekend evening service team. <laughs> Yeah, nope, your website's not there. You know, it's like, what do you mean I'm getting to talk to the service team on Saturday night? After the, t the yeah, so anyway, that was funny. I, th I, I joked with him about it because, like, really? Okay. <laughs> See, you, the, you know, world, climb the mountain of God. I'm talking about climbing the mountain of God, talking to the world. I need some help from the world on my, and it's like, without coming down there and, you know, burning them down. So, anyway, I, 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 I kept all my messages so you could see what I said, and I was, I was gracious, but also demanding. Where am I at? Psalm 73, verse 13. Okay. Intermission's over. Uh, verse, Psalm 73, verse 12. This is what the wicked are like, always carefree, and they increase in wealth. That's, that's a, a Asaph, one of the priests writing this. See, this is what it looks like. They're carefree, they don't have a care, they're always laughing, having a party, and they're gaining in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. Now, you know, this is a guy looking at the world saying, these guys are carefree. They don't have a, their websites work. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and they're making money on their websites. <laughs> and it's like, surely I've kept my heart. I've been trying to do a work of God. My website's down. I'm not even making money on my website. And it's like, if I make an application. So, but, so I mean, this is just that contrast. This is that, that thinking you can get into. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase their wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. I should have been messing, I should have been messing with the world. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. So there, his heart, I kept it single-minded on God. I should have been spending some time investing in the world because it looks like the world's where the money's going to be instead of with God. I should, have been, I should have been a little double-minded. A little bit in the kingdom, a little bit in the world. This is Asaph, one of the priests, right? This is Psalm. This is, this is in your Bible, okay? This is not like you know, my interpretation. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence, meaning I've, I've tried to be innocent and do the right thing. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had says, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. He said, I've done all these things, and if I just would have compromised, I could have blessed my children with some worldly things. This was oppressive. I've wasted my life pursuing God. I've wasted my life climbing this mountain to see God. 
Man, look, I should have... He says, this was an oppressive thought. When I tried to understand all this, it was an oppressive, oppressive to me. Verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny, which also means I understood my destiny. If this is your going here, it's like, look what they've got. Yeah, look at what Sodom had until the moment. Boom, and it's gone. It's like, oh, I was there just 10 minutes ago. Or half an hour, a lot could have said. It's like, oh, and it continued to pursue. So I mean, we're in that time where you're, it's like, it's, it's tough. Because you look, it's like, it's working. But we're called to be single-minded and, and do the things God, you've submitted to God. You're doing the things you've drawn near. It's like, but look, at they're still prospering. It's still working down here. It's like, don't be double-minded. Stay pure. Ah, but until I entered in, I realized, oh, this is gone. And now this is eternal. So we're just making the choice right now today. We're in the, and that's again, we can't leave and enter into eternity today. We are amazingly stuck here. We have, you know, we have to submit to God. I mean, we're not just in time at this place. I mean, we have to eat material things to stay alive. You have to put food in your mouth. Well, I just, I'm, you know, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to live by just the word of God, no bread. It's like, yeah, that's okay. But you're going to have to eat food. Jesus did it for 40 days, but then you read the rest of the scriptures. He's eating. He's even handing out food. He's, he's making wine. I mean, there's things you've got to eat the things of this age just to stay alive. So it's not like you can just draw a line and say, I'm done with the world, except for food, <laughs> uh, except for fellowship, uh, except for, well, I better get a job. I mean, it's like you're locked here as if you've got to travel in this wicked age, but you've got to be climbing this mountain. And someday, you're going to be on the mountain, look back, and all this is gone. Okay. Uh, okay, now that you've uh, cleansed your hands, purified your heart, you're single-minded, now comes the, uh, the repentance here, because you've looked and you've seen what was wrong, and you realize how far off you are. Be wretched, this is James writing, be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And this idea right here is this is a response. This is not a lifestyle. Do not think, oh, this is the Christian lifestyle. If anything in these verses is a Christian lifestyle, it's humble. And that is humble. Did I spell it right? Humble. It's always bad to have to make a big point and spell the word wrong. Humble before God. Humble, not just humble between for everybody walks on you. You've humbled yourself before God. This is the Christian life. That means you may be opposing or resisting the things of the world. It means you may be, in a sense, a rebel and not humble. That, that person's not very humble. Yeah, not to the, the woke crowd he's not very humble, but to God. So to be humble before God is going to mean you're resisting something. This is the Christian lifestyle. This is the theme. So this verse right here, this is not the Christian lifestyle. Wretched, mourn, and weep, and turn your laughter to mourning. That is the Christian response to having submitted to God, resisting evil, drawing near to God, realizing, oh my gosh, my hands are dirty. My heart is double-minded. I'm not focused. I'm going to get focused. And now you realize how far off you are. Now you repent. You weep. more. Well, I was over here singing with John and Yoko. Oh my gosh. And now you're wretched. You mourn. You're weeping. You're laughing that you're having with John and Yoko. It's like, no, you're now mourning. I didn't want to be here. And you're going this way and you humble yourself before God, if that makes sense. So that is your response to you being called and knowing you are a sinner and double-minded. And when you realize that, that causes you to be wretched, mourn, and weep. It, again, and that can be a daily routine. That can be however often. But that is not the theme of this book. Be wretched, mourn, weep, and you should never be laughing. If you're on the right track, if you're going the right way, that laughter, you can maybe change that word to joy. Meaning it's like you're not necessarily laughing and telling jokes on the way to the temple of God, but you're definitely filled with joy knowing where you're going. Here's the word wretched. And this, again, would be the repentance, that, that fifth category. Uh, wretched, it means to grieve. It means to be miserable. This is in contrast to being satisfied and pleasured by the world. In other words, you're being satisfied by the world. Now you're feeling wretched because of the world. 
Uh, true, the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that would be right here. Humble yourself before God, and you will have joy and that joy is the strength to keep you here. So the joy is the strength of the Lord. But this right here is, again, your response. You do not have joy when you're in the world, singing with John and Yoko, singing all the false philosophy, waving your rainbow flag. Uh, you, not, you don't have joy. You recognize that you're going to have misery. Mourn. Okay, it says, true, the joy of the Lord is your strength, but the joy these sinning believers are enjoying is not the joy of the Lord. They're enjoying the joy of the world. It says, you sinners, you double-minded, they've got joy. In fact, they're laughing in their little worldly situation. James says, you st- once you realize where you're at, you're going to stop laughing and start mourning as you approach the r- ways of God. Uh, mourn is a passionate grief that is seen by all. These are all, in a sense, the same way. That's why we put it in that category of repentance. So be wretched. Mourn is to have passionate grief. Weep means to wail. Outward grief meaning these are visible signs. And let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Previously, the believers had lives filled with laughter and joy as they pursued and enjoyed the things of this world. Pleasures, comforts, behaviors, methods, victories. True repentance would mean that these worldly pleasures and comforts would result instead in mourning for their sinful condition and gloom when they realize the looming judgment. And this right here, it talks, and this is another good point of looking at this, is this is, in a sense, self-judgment. There's going to be, now there's no E in judgment. Judge, I learned that on the back of my cover, my first book of 2007. I wrote judgment, and I made it all the way through and one of the first persons I showed it to, they go, oh, you spelled judgment wrong. It's like, judgment, J-U-D-G-E, judgment. And then they said, there's no E in it. It's like, well, that looks stupid. <laughs> Thus, I wish I was a little bit higher up, but God has stuck me thinking, judgment spelled wrong, looks right to me, so I spell it wrong. Okay, there's a moral to that too. Um, <laughs> But this, this judgment, we are going to face judgment for who we are. Humanity is going to face judgment. Just because you exist as a human, you're going to have to face judgment, meaning you're going to be called to account that you are worthy of damnation. James is saying, do it today. Look at this situation, turn your joy to gloom, and realize you, you are wrong, and, and mourn for that. And now, humble yourself for God, and now he's going to give you grace, and now you're going to start your journey towards God. But if you stay there, you're going to face gloom and mourning, and turning your laughter is going to be turned to uh, gloom, and eventually when? When God judges you. So it's either you take the word of God and allow it to judge you today and humble yourself and start your journey, or you stay here, ignore the word of God, celebrate your victories in the world, and face judgment. You're going to... Everyone will eventually be wretched, mourn, and weep, and will turn their laughter to mourning and their joy to gloom. We do it today and start our journey to God. You don't do it today, you'll do it when God will judge you. And then chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. Uh, Humble yourself before God is going right back to Proverbs 3.34 where we began. So all of this has been an explanation that he began at the beginning in chapter 6. Scripture says that God's Spirit envies for you, but he gives you more grace. And then he quotes Proverbs 3, and then he gives you six categories with ten imperatives. And the last one is, when you get here, now humble yourself that he may exalt you uh, and give you favor. Uh, here, back page, Matthew twenty three twelve. 12, uh, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James is saying, if you're going to stay in the world and exalt yourself in your pride month, you will stink and be humbled by God in reality. But if you will humble yourself and pursue God, he will then exalt you because you're on his side. Uh, the repentant tax collector versus the Pharisee, Luke chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. But the tax collector standing off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be 
exalted. And before that was the uh, Pharisee who was talking about how good he does. I've done all this, and he's promoting himself. It's like, yeah, you're going to be humbled because you have not humbled yourself. And I'm going to quit by reading 1 Peter chapter 5, and it's time to go, but 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 9. And this gives, this is 1 Peter probably written, you know, I don't know, 60 A.D., something like this. Uh, this is a, uh, Peter's last book is going to be like 64 A.D., so this could be 60, 62 A.D. Uh, it gives you the impression that what James is talking about, uh, I don't want to say it's not original, because it is original. We don't see it copied from somewhere else. But the themes that he's approaching and the attitude around this procedure seems to have possibly have been early in the church, coming out of the prophets, Jesus polishing it up, and then the early church, especially as we see on Monday nights, the disciples, how proud and lack of humility they had because they are very, very proud. When Jesus kept talking about the cross, he said, you have to be a servant. Whoever the servant is going to be the greatest. They'd come up with arguing on who was the greatest among them. They'd come up with, uh, okay, we see you're going to go to Jerusalem. We sit on your right and on your left. They're always in self They could not humble themselves. They're always fighting for some worldly position. And so when Jesus demonstrated on the cross after the resurrection, they, pre- they themselves had experienced the problem of not humbling themselves but trying to put themselves forward in the world. It may have been a huge theme in the early church. We see it in James. Possibly what we're reading is 45 A.D. And now Peter, around 60 A.D., chapter 5, verse 5, I'm going to read it to you. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, brothers. Then he quotes this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you want grace you're going to have to humble yourself. You don't just get grace because you're human and you're a Christian. If you are proud, if you're not cleansing your hands, if you're double-minded, God is opposing you. Why? Because you're a friend of the world. He is opposing you. All things work together for those who love the Lord. Right, but you don't love the Lord. You love yourself and you're proud. He is opposing you. He's going to crush you. But gives grace to the humble. But if you in that situation will humble yourself, he'll give you grace Humble, then Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, because it says that, because that's true, humble yourselves, therefore, under the Lord's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, when due time is, that's not, I mean, that may be in life, that may be tomorrow, that may be in 20 years, that may be on your journey up the mountain, that may be in eternity. When you look back and the whole world is gone, and you're like, oh, now I understand. But you humble yourself, he will exalt you. Not because you did it, but in the right time. So right now today, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be controlled and alert. Why? Because your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Someone who's not humble themselves and are looking for a false identity, a false witness. Uh, he'll devour you. Resist him. When you see him, resist him. Don't join the parade. Standing firm in the faith, meaning that's not faith like Tinkerbell faith, like I believe in Tinkerbell. That's faith as in the truth, that you believe this substance of this revelation is true because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. Whoa, whoa, what? Suffered a little while? Right. If you're going to resist the devil in the world, you're going to stink and suffer. But I want to be, I want God to deliver me. Okay, do you want to submit to God and resist the devil? Yes, I I do. Then you're, you're here. You're going to suffer in this age. Oh, I didn't know that. That should be put out when, I mean, I, I've always said, that's something that's categorized when you call someone to accept Christ, you just got to put some disclaimers on it, you know. Salvation does not prevent you from disease, from oppression, from being persecuted by the world. This salvation does not present, it does not preserve your marriage, it does not bring your kids back, it does not raise your dog from the dead, it does not, it's like, it's like, what, well, why would I get saved then? You have fellowship with God, you're now in the presence of God, growing in Christ. Yeah, but I need all these things. It's a, these, and have like a disclaimer on those advertising guys talk really, really fast. You know, all the old disclaimers is like, <laughs> because right here it's like, it will not, I, you will have to suffer. You accept Christ, we guarantee you will have to suffer. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't want to accept Christ. Okay, okay uh, 
and the God of all grace, who called you to eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, uh, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And that is the way Peter closes the book down. Okay, I'm going to pray, and we'll move on next week with this, and James is going to now kind of get out of his instructional part right here as far as dealing with their issue and kind of close the book down and have some other topics that will be kind of interesting to look at, especially when we consider... Uh, the time that it was written. Father, do thank you again for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would examine ourselves, that we'd allow your spirit to lead us and guide us in your word to transform us. And Father, we ask that you again, as you promised through Peter, that you'd make us steadfast, that we'd be firm and able to stand as we ascend the hill towards your, your glory. In Jesus' name, we thank you for the opportunity to live at this time and ask that you'd strengthen us against the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.